Ashley was a senior at the University of Florida. Her mom and dad got divorced years earlier, and uh, afterwards her, her mom and her brother put their faith in Christ, and, and Ashley herself kind of veered off with her dad, you know, staying away from God, uh, living life the way she wanted to do it. And um, she had a boyfriend at, at the university. They had an apartment together. And um, one day she came home early from a class and found her boyfriend with another woman, which uh, ticked her off, devastating her. And she broke, broke up with him immediately, kicked him out of the apartment, posted an ad in the school about needing a new roommate. A girl named Krista found it contacted Ashley and said, hey, I'd be interested in being your roommate. And Ashley met with her and said, yeah, yeah, I think it'd be a good fit. And um, um, over time, Ashley began to realize, you know what, Krista, Chris is a little weird. You know, she doesn't have the same uh, core value as I do. Um, Krista talks about Jesus all the time and she reads her Bible and you know, it's, uh, I don't know, she's a little freaky. That's what I think, you know. So as time went on, she became more and more intrigued with Krista. And um, Ashley was having a bad day. She was reminiscing over what her former boyfriend uh, had done. And she was kind of grieving over it and went to the freezer and pulled out a half gallon of ice cream and started eating it. And uh, Krista got a spoon and together they ate ice cream together. And Ashley was pouring out her heart, you know, man, um, life, life is really a bummer, man. It's, it's tough. And, and um, she was expecting Krista to kind of unload on her, you know, like, man, you've really messed up your life and God's really ticked off at you. And it was quite the contrary. Ashley realized that Krista was really concerned about her and asking strategic questions and really extending grace and mercy to her. And uh, that kind of got over attention. And so um, Ashley became uh, more bothered, you know, more bothered. Yeah, Krista was cool, but she was just bothered by her lifestyle. And um, uh, she knew that Krista didn't drink like she did and she asked Krista about her relationship with her boyfriend that had been going on for three years and wanted to know if there was a physical a sexual relationship and and Krista said no no there isn't and um, that was kind of crazy for Ashley to comprehend and she asked Krista you know why was she living her life that way and Krista's answer was simply, I desire to please God in everything I do. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It really simplifies life. It really makes decisions quite easy if we desire to please God in everything we do. Krista shared with Ashley just how much she loved Jesus and how much Jesus loved her. And so God was working in Ashley's life and Krista was living uh, really a, 
a transparent life in front of Ashley. You know, she wasn't living a perfect life, but she was definitely modeling the character of God's love and his grace. And one day, um, Krista just said, you know, Ashley, uh, don't you think it's time you put your faith in Jesus Christ and accept his forgiveness? And finally, you know, Ashley said, you know, I can't take this anymore. (laughs) And so uh, she just saw the love of Jesus in, in Krista and and she said, you know what, Chris, I want what you have. And in her diary, Ashley wrote down that that was it. The day I became a follower of Jesus, the unconditional love of Jesus flooded my heart with his peace. And she experienced this love and grace that God has for everybody. And so she started going to the Bible studies that Krista had plugged into, going to the, the local church that uh, Krista was a part of. And the man, she just went full bore in her relationship with Jesus. And as a new year rolled around, um, Krista had been involved with Passion Ministries. That's Louis Giglio down in Atlanta, Georgia. Every year they do a, a huge college conference filling uh, uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. 60,000 students, you know, come. And, and man, Ashley just... Woo, man, it was good being with so many college students, so many young people worshiping the Lord. And man, she was taken, taken back by it. And so um, she emailed Louis Giglio afterwards and just thanked him for the, for the conference and basically gave her testimony, her life story on how She had been living her life, and her roommate, Krista, just modeled the character of Christ in front of her and how she put her faith in Jesus and experienced his forgiveness. And and so Louis was, you know, thought, man, this is cool, what God's been doing. And so he put it on the Passion blog and on his podcast. And Ashley was fired up because, man, so many people were hearing about her story and the transformation that Jesus had done in her life. You know, that unconditional love and God's forgiveness, man. She, she was living life to the full. Not long after um, that conference, Louis received another email, only this time it was from Ashley's mom. And it read, Dear Mr. Giglio, it is with a heavy heart that I send you this email. My daughter is Ashley. She wrote you an email that went on your blog and podcast. Well, today, May 3rd at 4 p.m., we buried Ashley. She was killed in a car accident late Sunday night. But I have hope of seeing my daughter again. I have this hope because after years of praying for her and watching her life and live for Christ, um, that last semester of her college career, I saw a woman, not a college girl, that I have never been more proud to call my daughter. Ashley fell in love with our Savior over the last five months of her life. But I just felt like you should know that she listened to many of your talks. She was so excited about God and her newfound faith. Words alone cannot thank you enough. I may never meet you here on earth, but I know that someday I will be able to meet you and give you a hug in heaven, but only after Ashley does. 
Thank you so much for praying for my girl and your support for her as she was starting her new life. Also, thanks for being a man of God who has passion for college students. Your vision to share the gospel and getting college students to do the same made all the difference at the funeral today. Instead of being sad and scared for her, we are able to sing praise and worship songs. I know I have said thank you a lot in this email, but because of you and Krista, Ashley's roommate, and people at the Bible study and church she was going to, she was happier than I have ever seen her in a very, very long time. In her email she originally sent to you, it said that she had life for the first time in her 22 years. And please know she meant every word of that. She lived the last few months serving and loving and learning more about Christ. And she will now spend eternity in heaven with him. No, so one more time, thank you. Sincerely, Ashley's mom, Anna. Friends, there you have it. That's what's most important. That you put your faith in Jesus Christ. This is how I see it. God lines up the entire populace of the world. And he walks down that line and he looks every person eye to eye and he says, I love you. I have a free gift for you. It's the gift of salvation. I died on the cross for you. I paid your sin debt in full. I'm extending this gift to you. Will you receive it? And out of the great love of God, he gives you and I the freedom to choose. Doesn't he? Yeah. He doesn't hit us over the head. He doesn't pull out his gospel gun and, and coerce us into putting our faith in him. No, he says it's up to you. Do you see how the spirit of God went after Ashley? And that's exactly what he does after every human being, man. He loves you and he wants you to have a relationship with him, with him and he pursues you. How cool it is, man, that Krista became Ashley's roommate. Huh? God's doing that all around the world, friends, because of his great love, his great mercy. And so let's go to the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 1. Hopefully we'll finish off this chapter today. <laughs> listen, listen now. We are not in a race you know, we're not in a race to get through Philippians and we're letting, you know, we, we're just letting God really guide us, direct us, resting in him. And, uh, and so we'll see, we'll see if we get through it and, uh, follow along, um, starting in verse 27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again, this is Paul, or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. 
We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. So, Father, we thank you for your word today. What a privilege it is to read it. Not only read it, but obey it. Apply it to our lives, Lord. I pray for every person in this room, those watching online. You know exactly where each of us are on that pathway of life. We thank you, Lord, for pursuing Ashley the way you did. When honestly, a lot of us could look back and say, you know, that happened to me too. How God never relented. He never gave up. Oh, Lord, thank you for that. You are so good. You are so good. The goodness of the Lord pursues us all the days of our life. And so, may we rest in you today as we allow you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do a little review. Um, We hit this part of this verse three weeks ago. And I just think it would be good to um, go back to it. So, number one, uh, live as a citizen of heaven. Live as a citizen of heaven. Uh, I just, if you have your pencil or pen in your Bible, above all, you want to circle that, above all. Paul Paul is transitioning out of the last um, paragraph, so to speak, and he's, he's saying this... This is very, very important. He's he's kind of hitting the pause button to get our attention. Above all, above all, listen to what I'm about to, to write to you through this letter. Above all, most important, top priority, basically. Paul is saying, you know, whether he lives or dies, and he doesn't know exactly, but This is what's most important for the church at Philippi, above all, that they live as citizens of heaven. And I want to ask you a question. Are you living as a citizen of heaven today? Do people know, the people that know you well, do they know that you are a citizen of heaven? Do they know that? Well, they should, right? Philippi um, was a Roman colony, and we can pull up a map here and um, so, um, Philippi right here, Rome over here, there's 800, there's 800 miles, uh, distance from that city, uh, to, to Rome. And, um, and so the church at Philippi, Paul had, had visited 10 years earlier, planted that church. And, um, this letter is going back to encourage them because their, their faith is being challenged. If you feel like your faith is being challenged today, um, this letter is applicable. It's relevant for you and for me. Um, But Philippi, by the way, even though it was 800 miles away from Rome, Rome had put its stamp on that city. They controlled the government. They ruled Philippi. And so, um, as some of you may realize, you know, to have a citizenship of Rome... Uh, boy, that was highly esteemed. You know, people would pay a lot of money to, uh, to have the paperwork done to say my citizenship is in Rome. Paul recognizing this in Philippi because 
um, people kind of had this arrogance about them, you know, that, yeah, Rome rules us, and we're okay with that because we're Roman citizens. And Paul is saying, listen, don't get all fired up about having your citizenship in Rome, man. That can be a huge distraction in how you live your life. Yeah, Rome is the most powerful country in the world at that time. They have an awesome army and military. And they rule and reign with power. Paul is saying, I'm even a chain to a praetorium guard, just so you know. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. But he said, hey, don't get fired up that you're a Roman citizen. What you really need to get plugged into is that your citizenship is in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And so you kind of get that emotion through this letter, man. Paul is saying, above all, man. Remember where your home is. I think all of us can say, man, yeah, with everything hitting the fan in our world today, it is so easy just to say, this is where I am. You know, this is where I'll be. Que sera, sera. Listen, Paul would say to you, listen now, don't get, all, don't get all tied up in what's going on in our world today. Your citizenship is in heaven. Keep your eyes there, man. The government of Almighty God rules and reigns in heaven. And that's going to be something that you and I get to look forward to. So... Philippi was a Roman outpost. Paul says you must live as citizens of heaven, and he chooses this language on purpose. Again, to elevate that above the Roman citizenship. He's saying live in this Roman colony at Philippi as worthy citizens of your heavenly homeland. Live well. Model the character of Christ. And Paul is saying to all of us today, no matter where you live geographically in the world, you have to always view yourself as a citizen of heaven. And quite honestly, that will help help each of us get through those challenging times. Because those challenging times on earth will not be forever. Philippi, a colony of Rome, was also the church, the church in Philippi was also a colony of heaven, wasn't it? We're a colony of heaven right now at Life Church. Isn't that cool? Hmm? A colony of heaven. A little bit of heaven right here. We hit this three weeks ago. Your home is a boot camp. It's a colony of heaven as well. If you're, if you're living for Jesus, if you put your faith in Christ, so it, it starts in our home, right? We, we, we disciple our children. We disciple ourselves. And we bring that to the colony at Life Church. And that impacts the neighborhoods we live in. That impacts the places where we work. It impacts the places where we go to school. It's an overflow that colony of heaven. And so Paul 
Paul says that we're conduct. In other words, if you're arrested for being a citizen of heaven, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's what Paul is saying. That word worthy, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy. You know, this is where some people kind of go off the rails. They think I have to be good enough, worthy enough for God to love me. No, that's not what this means. Just like Ashley realized that God loved her and he forgave her just as she was, right? We don't have to clean ourselves up before we come. We come as we are. And he has that power to forgive no matter what our past is. And so Paul, he's referring to, it literally it means to even the beam. So so what's, what's that look like? Um, it refers to balancing the scales so both sides are even. In our language today, we would, we would say, um, you know, if, if, if you're part of a business or whatever, that person is worthy of their pay. In other words, whatever they're receiving for a salary or a wage, uh, the work that they're producing, it, it balances out. It's even. And... Uh, I like the way the message puts it. Live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Paul is saying in this interesting word, worthy, that your lifestyle matches your faith commitment. You have to understand what, what got Ashley's attention was her roommate, Christo. Not a perfect life, but she was modeling consistently the character of Christ. You see? The, the balance beam was even. She claimed to be a follower of Christ, and her lifestyle matched it. You know, words and actions line up. And that's a, that's a big question mark in children today when their parents say one thing and they do another thing. It really throws kids off. They see the hypocrisy. And they question faith in Christ because of it. And so as parents, we have a huge responsibility that our words and our actions line up. And that's what Paul is talking about, worthy. That balance beam is, is leveled out. And um, as a citizen of heaven, hey, hey, we know that <laughs> our citizenship is there. We know the value of Jesus. And we also know how he gives us the power to change how we live. You know, it's not rules and regulations, man. It's love. I, I realize the incredible love of Christ. And that's what drives me to love him back in the way I choose to live. I tell you, it's exciting. Yeah. It really is. Um, one of the greatest weapons that the uh, that can go against the enemy, Satan, is living a consistent life. Satan loves hypocrisy, you know, in, in people that call themselves followers of Jesus because he uses that against God's kingdom. And so, once again, we're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about consistency. First John 1, 6, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. And so... So the question is, am I living as a citizen of heaven? Yes or no? Ask yourself. You don't have, you don't have to answer it out loud. We're not going to raise hands today. 
but ask yourself, am I, the, would I be found guilty of being a follower of Christ? Is there enough evidence out there? It's just a, a good thought. Number two, distinctives of being a heaven's citizen. Verse 27b, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. So why is Paul, you know, going back to verse 27a, why, why is he, it's a command, by the way, you must live as citizens of heaven. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, you must live as citizens of heaven. Not maybe, not if you feel like it. You know, I don't feel spiritual today, so I'm going to take a, no, 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 no. Paul is saying you must. That's a command. We don't like commands, do we? No, nobody's going to tell me what to do. <sighs> no sorry. Well, Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're surrendering your feelings and your rights to him. Remember that. They need to live in a manner worthy of the good news because that produces fruit that honors God. Yeah. And so what Paul is concerned about is this church plant in Philippi that it's strong that it's consistent in representing Jesus and his kingdom that's what he's concerned about he doesn't want hardship to come to this church and they just kind of fade away and wither away and they flip you know yeah I'm a citizen of heaven but man I am really fired up over being a citizen of Rome so he, he's, he's aware of that there's a battle going on so, Paul is, you know, he wants that church to stand strong. And um, the Philippians' commitment to Jesus, man, it was a threat to the civic-minded, patriotic Romans who ran Philippi. Yeah. The Philippians' allegiance to another lord instead of Caesar bordered on treason. Yes, it did. And it challenged the political establishment of that day. At times, believers were called atheists because of their loyalty to Jesus above Caesar in Rome. Think about that. Hmm. The Roman citizens of Philippi customarily honored the emperor in public gatherings. And you know what they were doing? They were pressuring the church to compromise in the same way that the church would honor Caesar above Jesus Christ himself. And so Christians were a political embarrassment in Philippi. Yeah. Uh, they were pushing against the envelope, so to speak. Believers who had the, the courage to declare with Paul that their citizenship was in heaven, it was kind of an un-Roman remark and made them enemies of Rome. It did. And because of that, their lives were at threat. They were threatened. So here's the thing. Distinctives uh, as being citizens of heaven, what does that look like? Number one, spiritual consistency. 27b, then whether I come to you again or only hear about you, I know that you are standing together with one spirit 
and one purpose. That word staining together is a military term. And as you, you know, we've heard over and over again, Paul loved to use military uh, symbols and images uh, for the church because the military, you know, standing together, uh, there's strength um, in that. So what that means, standing together, is stand your post. Don't leave your guard. It, it, it pictures a soldier not in retreat, but standing at a post um, with an onslaught of tremendous um, opposition coming after him. You know, they're, they're being overwhelmed, but, the, but as a soldier in God's army, you're not going anywhere, man. You're standing your post, and you're not alone. You're, you're linking our arms together because it describes the Roman military formation where uh, the soldiers stood shoulder to shoulder and back to back with their shields up and their spears out. It doesn't picture a person being alone here. It was a group. It was a group effort. When you have others standing with you, man, it, it does increase your odds against the opposition. It does. One spirit, one purpose, that one spirit that Paul writes about again is the Holy Spirit. The Philippians' ability to, to stand firm supernaturally was based on the Holy Spirit's work in a believer's life, giving them the power to push back against temptation and compromise. Romans 8, 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, we talked about this last Sunday, lives in you. Think about that. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Oh yeah, he lives in every other believer but me. No, no, no. He lives in you. If you're a follower of Christ, he lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And guess what? There's no shortage. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty. There's plenty. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So Paul's talking about that kind of power resident in every believer's life. We don't have to try harder, you know, to live for Jesus. We let the spirit of God live through us. That's what it is. So as Rome was pushing hard against the church at Philippi to compromise, you know, just back off, man. You guys are a little fanatic. No, 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 no. No. God was working. That, that same time that standing together is producing unity um, and is producing action. Um, April 8th, a couple days ago, was Holocaust Remembrance Day. It's a day that's often overlooked by most Americans because it's something that really doesn't affect us personally. We just kind of let it come and go. Many universities in America and Britain teach students that the Holocaust never happened. In fact, a 2019 poll show that one-third of Americans don't believe six million Jews were murdered during the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Hitler would have been proud in his manifesto, Mein Kampf. He explained that the propaganda technique and power of telling big, bold lies, how it works. 
According to the manifesto, the big lie works because the masses are easily manipulated in their emotions. They, they more readily fall victim to the big lie than the small lie since they themselves often tell small lies in little matters but would be ashamed to resort to a large-scale falsehood. And there's an urgency that we remember and learn from history, friends. What's this have to do with the church in Philippi? What's it have to do with Life Church today? Because as the Jewish people and others that were rounded up, German Christians and other citizens turned their heads afraid of getting involved. We're living in a day that this is not the time to turn our heads to say, I'm not going to get involved. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's saying the Roman Empire is, is pushing the church at Philippi to compromise, to back away, so to speak, from their commitment to Jesus Christ. You know, just, just tone it down a little bit. Just turn your head to what's going on in our world today. No, no, no. Paul would say, being a citizen of heaven, we must get involved and stay involved in our culture. Yesterday I had a conversation with my neighbor and uh, it's probably been um, close to a year since we last talked. Um, but I, I walked over there and we, we started talking about the world. And, and, and he said, you know, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of bad stuff going on and I kind of broke in. I said, man, can I tell you something? With, with what's been going on this past year, it's definitely been a challenge, you know, for all of us. But here's the thing. I said, at church, at our church, man, there, there is so much excitement. Yeah. People want to be there. They, they're excited to be there, to be with their brothers and sisters, man. Yeah. To, to sing to the living God. I was able to tell them to brag about you, man. See? Yeah, this has been going on, and I'm not going to let this to, to crash and burn me as a person. No, God is still working. God is working around this world, man. And if we just focus in on, on the bad, we miss out on the good that God's doing. And let me tell you something, he's doing a lot of good right now. Yeah. He's not in that grave, man. He broke out. He broke out. <laughs> so, so spiritual consistency. That's what we need to do. In our world today, you know, yeah, things are, are flipping, changing all the time. But as a follower of Jesus, we are consistent. We are, our words and our actions line up. Right? They line up. Number two, be part of the team. <laughs> Verse 27c, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Fighting together, Paul pulls this up into Greek again as athletes or soldiers. Um, come together as athletes, fighting together, standing together in this race of life as athletes. It's kind of like the coach saying to the team, we win together or we lose together. 
which reminds me mm, of Baylor University. Coach Drew Scott, I don't know if you watched that national championship basketball game uh, between Duke and North Carolina. (laughs) Wrong year. (laughs) No, man. Baylor and Gonzaga, you know? What what was that about? So so following, following the game... The Baylor team, thank God in prayer. Let's pull up that. Here they are. After winning, they, they get in a circle. They kneel down on the floor or national television. And they give thanks to God. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And... Um, um, Drew Scott, the coach... If you hear his story, man, uh, Baylor basketball was in shambles in 2003. He said, the team guides the team by by my own faith, having accepted Christ at a young age. I grew up in a Christian family, regularly attended church as a child. The spirit works differently with different people, but I feel comfortable talking about my faith in public and what Jesus Christ has done in my life. There it is again. You know? Be quiet, man. Don't, don't talk about that. Oh, no, 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 no. He said, I, I, I talk about it in public. You know? We've been a Christ-centered program since we've been here. Everybody comes in spiritually at different levels, but the great thing is that everybody's open to growing. Each and every year, we want our players to grow academically, athletically, but also spiritually. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Mm. Basketball practices beginning in with prayer. Players can also attend a Bible study and chapel service. That's in America. Huh? Is God doing some cool stuff? Man, he's doing some cool stuff. We play with a culture of joy, the coach said. That's Jesus, others, and yourself. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. That's pretty good. should maybe write that down, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the game, when he was interviewed, he said, first and foremost, I want to thank God for blessing us with this opportunity tonight. I tell you, man, how can you stay seated, you know, on that Monday night? Well, here's another cool thing. The, uh, the um, most outstanding player, Jared Butler, what's he about? Guess what? He's a follower of Jesus, too. He said, our Lord and Savior, I say it all the time, he gets us through everything. Jesus, he's the truth. He was with us tonight. He was with us all season. He's with us wherever we go. He just sustained us. He brought us together. So as Jared Butler puts his nose up in the air and says, you know, I'm better than anybody else. No, he says he's grateful to play at a school where Jesus permeates the entire culture. The athlete who teaches Sunday school at a local church in his free time also says it's a blessing to share the joy of Jesus and the gospel message with children. Isn't that cool, friends? I I think of all the volunteers here at Life Church, they do the same thing. The privilege of teaching children. What a gift that is. Huh? So join the team. Join the team. Um, Paul saw church as a team sport. Um, 
in America, this is a, kind of a battle line again, you know, that uh, Christians, you know, I, I live on my spiritual island all alone. It's God and me, you know. Uh, no, 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 no. That's not what Paul's writing about here. It's God and we. God and we. It's us is all here today, today right? It, we're us is together, citizens of heaven, living our lives. Paul was saying you have to be part of a team. It's teamwork for the faith, the good news. And that word together, you know, is important. We need to, we need to keep that in mind together um, in all that we do. Uh, number three, live without fear. Verse 28, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. That's an interesting word, intimidated. What's that about? Well, the imagery Paul uses is that it's, it's horses when they're spooked and they tend to throw their riders off. Anybody been thrown off a horse? Huh? Not fun. Should we vote on that? It's not fun, right? This is the picture Paul is using, plus he takes it a step further. It's horses stampeding. When horses stampede, they're in panic mode, Right? Paul is saying, as a follower of Christ, do not be intimidated. Don't let your life be lived in panic mode. Hmm. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Don't panic. Boy, that's a good word for us today, huh? Why? Because you're a citizen of heaven. That, that, that should just kind of put you at, at rest. I'm a citizen of heaven, man. I was, uh, I'm in reading the book of Joshua right now. And a couple days ago, I was in Joshua 10. And I'm just realizing this, this, this message over and over again, you know. And in, in, in chapter 10, uh, verses 7 and 8, Israel goes into the promised land and God says, hey, man, I'm going to be with you. And they're going in from city, 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 all, all these uh, southern armies they're fighting against. So verse 7, so Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. What does the Lord say? The Lord says, do not be afraid of them. <laughs> for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Verse 25, that's contagious, that word from the Lord, because Joshua tells his men, don't ever be afraid or discouraged. I, I, that jumped out at me. Don't ever, don't ever be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord is going to do this to all of your enemies. I don't know about you, but fear controls people. Have you noticed that? Our, our world is using fear in a big way to control and manipulate people, to paralyze people. And I, there's something going on inside of me. It's, it's like, man, when I read the Bible, this keeps coming up. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid because I am with you. And it's like, God, I need that. You know, I need that. Lord, will you help me? You know? Don't you feel the same way? Huh? 
This is not a time to live in fear, you know, and back away and, and, and drill down into your little world by yourself. No, no, no. This is a time to go out. Just last week, I had a conversation with a guy I never met before. We started talking about Jesus, and, 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 and he, I could tell where he was going with this. It was, am I good enough? Am I going to be good enough? And I, I kind of hit that head on, you know? That Jesus died to forgive. You don't have to be good enough. And we, we had that conversation, but it was so cool to be able to present the gospel. But the resistance, man, you could, this dude was pushing back, you know? So here it is. Do I say, man, I, I failed? No, no. I planted seeds and God's faithful. He'll bring a Krista into his world and keep that seed getting watered, right? Isn't that right? Yeah. So... So there you have it. This is a time to tell people your story, what Jesus has done in your life. It's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity. So fear, Paul, Paul is saying, um, uh, you know, be part of a team. Why? Because we're billboards for Christ. Billboards for Christ, um, kind of like this. <laughs> That's a billboard, but but there's another billboard behind that billboard. Uh, billboard. Uh, maybe so they cut the billboard down. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we are billboards, by the way. Walking billboards, living billboards, pointing people, advertising citizenship of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's all about him. Right. Yeah. So, so there we have it. Um, and um, do we do live without fear? Yeah. So I got all excited. I'm lost, man. I'm lost here. Where am I? I'm in the quicksand. Number, number three, grace given to model heaven citizenship. Verse 29, here it is. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. That, that word privilege means grace. God has graced you uh, to trust him, and he's also giving you the grace to suffer for him. This jumped out at me, and I'll tell you why that even though we've been living in a world that we never lived in before this past year, I, I, there's something inside of me. All I can say is God's been pouring his grace in me. You know? That's all I can, that's the only way I can explain it. I'm sensing grace I never had before. And that's exactly what Paul is writing to the church here, that when you, when you put your faith in Christ, God graces you to do that very thing. It's because of his grace. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to beg for it. It's his grace, which is sub-point number one, grace to trust Christ. 
John 1, but all to to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. It's putting our faith in Christ, keeping an eternal perspective, keeping I'm a citizen of heaven. Number two, grace to suffer for Christ. This is where a lot of Christians bail out. I don't want to hear that. You know, I live in America. I don't have to say verse 29b, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Paul is saying when you suffer for Christ, it's a privilege. Think about that. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's something to get fired up about. It's a gift. He's saying you embrace suffering as a gift from God. Isn't it incredible? It's a gift. And Philippians were suffering. They knew they weren't isolated, that it was happening all around them. Paul is saying, I'm continuing to suffer. First uh, Peter 3.14, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be, to, be afraid of their threats. That's a good word. Yeah. And so Paul is reminding you and I as citizens of heaven that God gives us the grace to trust him and to trust him more. Trusting him more than where we were a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. But he also gives us the grace to suffer for him. To be willing to suffer for him. It's a privilege, Paul says. So... That trust is growing in our faith and the grace to suffer. We're persevering in our faith. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma. He established 63 churches, personally led 6,000 Burmese to faith in Jesus. And that was in the uh, early 1800s. But it wasn't easy. That's... If we stop there, people would say, oh, that's awesome. But it wasn't easy. When he was 22, he made a decision to become a missionary, to leave America. And he set sail for India with his wife, who was pregnant at the time. When they arrived in India at the border, they wouldn't let him get off the ship. For three weeks, the two of them, he and his wife, were stuck at sea. His wife gave birth on that boat in the middle of a storm and her baby died in the process. They finally did get to shore and for the first six and a half years, Adoniram shared the gospel daily, but not one person came to faith in Burma. Nobody. Six and a half years. Guess what happened? His financial supporters back in America said, you know, we're going to stop funding you. It, It doesn't look like it's worth it. Uh, we just want to encourage you, Adoniram, uh, to come back to America, you know. But Adoniram was scattering seeds faithfully, sacrificially, and yet God wasn't bringing a harvest at that time. So he kept perspective. He kept praying. He kept preaching. Judson was eventually put in prison. You can see the picture, uh, the style of imprisonment that he was under for a few years on and off. During that time, his wife and three children would die in Burma. He remarried a few years later. His second wife and their two children would also die in Burma. What would you do? Hmm? What would you do? He could have 
felt sorry for himself, but he never gave up. He never quit. It was anything but easy for him, for sure. And he could have decided to quit and come back to America, but he loved Jesus and was certain of that calling to Burma. He chose to persevere while suffering. And today there's over 3,700 churches in Burma that trace their beginning to the influence of Adoniram Judson. You see that? We were reminded that there are people that have gone before and even now are suffering for their faith. And uh, instead of feeling sorry for ourselves, that should encourage us to be inspired, to be strong and courageous, and not be afraid. Let's pause and ask God for that grace in each one of our lives as we continue to live for him. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your encouragement today. How Paul wrote this long ago and how relevant it is for us in 2021. God, may we not wither away. May we not be seduced into being arrogant about our citizenship in America, replacing, displacing our citizenship. She up in heaven. Lord, may we first and foremost be reminded of how valuable that citizenship in heaven is because of you. And because of that, we can live strong and bold for you, Lord. I pray for each person today. If there are Ashleys here that are living their lives without you, I I just pray in Jesus' name that they will simply say, Jesus, today, I put my trust in you. You went to the cross. You paid for my sin dead in full. I believe you did that for me. And because of that, I'm inviting you into my life to be my spiritual leader, my savior. Forgive me of all my sins today, right now. And in the process, you give me your righteousness. And Lord, by the power of your spirit, I will live for you the rest of my life. Yeah. Will you do that? Will you make that decision today? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And we pray that as followers of Christ, Lord, we will live as citizens of heaven, representing you well, representing you well in the spheres of influence that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.